Good morning, everybody. Hope you're all having great weekends. Um, not sure what you're all up to. Hope you stayed warm. I thought last week was like awesome and how warm it was. And then this week was what I was expecting more when I was thinking ahead about what planting a church in January would look like uh, in terms of setting up every morning. So uh, that was uh, kind of a bummer, I guess, to get up this morning and and freeze like that, but uh, it's not so bad. So Um, anyway, um, today's sermon, we're going to continue kind of like a one-off going through the book of Psalms um, as we prepare before we launch into our Ephesians sermon series, which we'll be doing next week when we kick everything off for real. Uh, And this week we're going to be doing uh, Psalm 104, but before we hop into that, I actually have a... um, a quote. It's a pretty famous quote that I'm guessing a lot of you have heard from C.S. Lewis before. I think it really does a good job of, of framing where I'm hoping uh, to go with the psalm today. So uh, I'll read it for you here. Um, this is from uh, an essay he wrote called The Weight of Glory. He says, We are half-hearted creatures uh, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a, of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Now, in this uh, quote, he's really going after, he's really challenging us with how uh, low we set our sights oftentimes and how easily satisfied we can be by things other than God. Um, And it's become such a popular quote because of that. I think it gets at the heart of that really well. Um, But some of the the things that really, one of the things that really jumps out at me or one of the things I think is like the key to the quote is um, the idea of imagination. He talks about how... uh, the, uh, the ignorant child wants to go on making uh, mud pies uh, because he cannot uh, uh, imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. And so it's a problem of imagination for this person or this, this, kid, this, this guy who wants to go on making mud pies. It's a, it's a problem of not being able to imagine something greater than the mud pies. And I think uh, that is the heart of the quote. Um, Imagine it, I think the way that he uses imagination here is, is, has to do with um, our vision of who God is and our vision of what he's done, uh, our vision of what he is doing and what he will do. And oftentimes we shrink that or, or we, we can't imagine something greater than the things right in front of us, these mud pies, and so we get so attached to those because our imagination isn't any bigger than those things. And so we only get excited by those types of things as opposed by something else. And it's an imagination problem. Um, and I think the longer that we find ourselves pleased by mud pies, the more and more we're going to be shaped by that. And that's going to impact who we are. It's going to impact how we go out and live our lives. And as a church, uh, the more that we lose imagination for who or who God is and what he's doing, uh, the more it's going to shrink our church and our ability to actually go out and accomplish what we're trying to do. And so uh, I think that it's good for us to uh, to be aware of the ways in which we are imagining at the level of mud pies and consciously challenge ourselves to imagine at a greater level. Because if we don't do that, um, if, we don't, if we don't understand what it is that we're a part of when we're starting a church, when we're going out on behalf of God to proclaim Jesus to the St. Paul uh, Midway Hamlin area, 
It'd be like us buying a a Ferrari for our church and using it to pull the trailer around on a Sunday morning for setting up, right? It's like we're not understanding what this thing is meant for, what what type of power we're tapped into. And so I want to challenge us uh, to not be stunted in our growth as a church by really challenging all of us to, myself included, to expand our imagination of who God is and what he's done. And I think um, Psalm 104 is a good place to go for that because of what this psalm is about and how it is uh, a psalm that really expands our imagination of who God is. All right? So... um, we see that the goal of the psalm, right off the bat, is to bring you to a place of praising the Lord, my soul. Um, You are very great, the author says. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. This is the place that um, we're going to be driven to go once we actually dive into the psalm here. So what I'm going to do is I'll give you a little flow of it. It's kind of a longer one. I'm going to read the whole thing to you, and then I'm going to walk back through it at selected points and just kind of try to flesh out uh, what's going on here to try to build our imagination for who God is based on this psalm, okay? So uh, the first thing that happens is, uh, once, we, once we move into it, is God establishes the earth. We, we, get this, uh, we, get this, we get a few lines about how God has established the earth. He, he set the earth um, where it is, and he, he's put all of the elements into it. But then what he does is he tames the waters. He directs the waters to, to, uh, to living things. Um, he causes plants to grow from the water. Animals and humans are sustained by God. Um, God controls the light then that directs humans and animals day. And because of this, all things look to God for their life. Um, so I'll read it for you here, and then we can walk back through it again um, after that. All right, I'll read it. Starting in verse 1. Praise the Lord, my soul. Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. The Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messengers, flames of fire his servants. He sets the earth on its foundations. It can never be moved. You covered it with the watery depths as with a garment. The waters stood by the mountains. But at your rebuke, the waters fled. At the sound of your thunder, they took to flight. They flowed over the mountains. They went down into the valleys to the place you assigned for them. You set a boundary they cannot cross. Never again will they cover the earth. He makes springs pour water into the ravines. It flows between the mountains. They give water to all the beasts of the field. The wild donkeys quench their thirst. The birds of the sky nest by, their wa- by the waters. They sing among the branches. He waters the mountains from his upper chambers. The land is satisfied by the fruit of his work. He makes grass grow for the cattle and plants for people to cultivate, bringing forth food from the earth, wine that gladdens human hearts, oil to make their faces shine, and bread that sustains sustains their hearts. The trees of the Lord are well watered, the cedars of Lebanon that he planted. There the birds make their nests. The stork has its home in the junipers. The high mountains belong to the wild goats, and the crags are a refuge for the hyrax. Pause. This is a hyrax. It's not a Dr. Seuss animal, in case you were wondering about that. It's a little (laughs) rodent. So anyway, that's all I'm going to say about hyraxes. He made the moon to mark the seasons. The sun knows when to go down. You bring darkness, it becomes night, and all the beasts of the forest prowl. The lions roar for their prey and seek their food from God. The sun rises and they steal away. They return and lie down in their dens. Then people go out to their work, to their labor until evening. 
How many are your works, Lord? In wisdom you made them all. The earth is full of your creatures. There is the sea, vast and spacious, teeming with creatures beyond number, living things both large and small. There the ships go to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. All creatures look to you to give them their food at the proper time. When you give it to them, they gather it up. When you open your hand, they are satisfied with good things. Then you, when you hide your face, they are terrified. When you take away their breath, they die and return to the dust. When you send your spirit, they, they are created, and you renew the face of the ground. May the glory of the Lord endure forever. May the Lord rejoice in his works. He who trembles at the earth, he who looks at the earth and it trembles, who touches the mountains and they smoke. I will sing to the Lord all my life. I will sing praise to my God as long as I live. May my meditation be pleasing to him as I rejoice in the Lord. But may sinners vanquish from the earth and the wicked be no more. Praise the Lord, my soul. Praise the Lord. So instead of going through that all line by line, I want to go back and reflect on certain portions of it and try to draw out the way in which the author is causing our imagination to expand uh, based on who God is. Okay? Um, So uh, starting here in verses 2 to 4, We we are uh, told that the Lord wraps himself in light as with a garment. He stretches out the heavens like a tent and lays the beams of his upper chambers on their waters. He makes the clouds his chariot and rides on the wings of the wind. He makes winds his messenger, flames of fire his servants. So this is a a poetic thing, right? This is not a scientific picture we're supposed to imagine where God is is, is wrapping himself in light in some way. What, What it's telling us is that all of these aspects of creation all of which are completely beyond us, and are especially so if you're an ancient Near East uh, person who's writing or reading this. Things like the sun, the sky, the clouds, the wind, fire itself, these are the things that God uses to bring glory to himself. And he, he adorns himself in them. In the same way that uh, we get all dressed up so we look good when we go to school for the first day, right? You remember how much thought you put into that as a kid? This is the way that God uses uh, these things that are so far beyond us that we can't hope to control them, even with all the technology that we have today, right? Um, He throws them on to adorn himself, to bring glory to himself. And so when we see those things and we're, uh, you know, those things that move us, things like sunsets or the power of of fire or or the great wind that we can do nothing to stop, we can only hope to harness it a little bit for our power, those are the things that God uses to adorn himself. So when we're awed by those things, we should uh, be turning and bringing ourselves to uh, find awe in God because of that. He sends them around in the same way that uh, we would send an email by swiping around through our phone, right? This is the way that he directs these elements to go out and do his will. The next verse talks about uh, setting the earth on its foundations so it can never be moved. Um, We should be viewing this in the same way that we think about setting the foundation of a house, right? We want to make sure that a foundation for a house is set, and if it's not, then the whole house is going to uh, sink into the ground or or fall over or something like that. We should be uh, understanding that the, the foundations of the earth have been set, so we don't have to worry about that happening. This is the way that God uh, builds the foundations of our own earth. Um, he covers the watery depths as with a garment, like tucking a kid in at night, right? This is the way that, this is the language that is drawn out. So we not only see that God controls it, but he directs it as he will, right? And he, they use language uh, that we, we can understand, right? Because we... Uh, we cover things up with blankets, right? We, this is the way that God uh, directs the um, elements around. 
verses 7 to 9, um, at your rebuke the waters fled. Okay? And this is a huge theme throughout the psalm, as you maybe picked up on, is this idea of God's control over the water. Um, he's able to uh, direct it to go where he wants. Right? At, his, at his rebuke, it flees, it says. Um, it, it flies away, goes to do what God has directed it to do, uh, to flow over mountains, to go down into valleys, into these places that have been assigned um, by him. He sets a boundary that the water itself cannot uh, cross over, um, and the water is no longer able to cover the earth anymore. That could be a reference to the flood. It could be a reference to uh, creation. It doesn't really matter. The point is that um, water is, there's a place for the water and there's a place for the land, um, and God has made that to be so. And the water, um, the water uh, responds to his signal like uh, a bunch of athletes responding to a coach blowing the whistle and running on to the field, right? Going and doing what the game plan has been set out for. This is the way that the water is directed by God himself. In the next section here, again, still talking a little bit about water. Um, uh, the, 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 the earth is full of your creatures, including the sea, which is vast and spacious. And it's teeming with creatures beyond number, uh, living things both large and small. Now, the oceans cover 71% of the Earth's surface and contain 97% of the Earth's water, right? So, like, we live in the middle of the continent. So, for us, like, we talk about lakes like they're a really big deal. And, but they're not. Like, you know, go up to, the, go up to Lake Superior and it seems massive. And that is, like, com- infinitesimal compared to the size of the oceans. I don't think we actually understand, um, you know, how massive the oceans are and how deep and vast they are and how what it says that when it says that the 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 sea is teeming with creatures beyond number but that um god has made all of them and they're full they're they're his creatures like i don't think we quite understand what that means or i don't think we understand what it is for god to direct and control water in that way i really do think it's lost on us and and maybe if we live closer to an ocean it would make a little more sense but um when we i think when we tend to think of the ocean we think of this right we think of like hanging out on a beach tanning you know maybe want wading into the water a little bit and trying to avoid jellyfish or something like that that's what we think of when we think of the ocean but this is the ocean, guys. Like, if, if we go out a little bit uh, from the beach, like, this is what the ocean actually is. This is a picture of a wave crashing over, like, a massive boat, right? This is, like, with all of the technology that we have as humans, it is still incredibly dangerous to go out on a, on a boat into the middle of the ocean. Like, it is not something to mess around with. There are waves that we just can't control, right? They're completely volatile. Storms pop up in and out of nowhere with, with no warning. It's, compl- it's incredibly easy to lose your way, right? Like, you, you have no landmarks out in the ocean uh, to try to help you to go where you're going. Landmarks change, right, every second as the waves are, are crashing around you. Um, and, and if we move, you know, off of the surface of the ocean, we head under, under the water, Right? And this is where we're talking about these creatures that God um, has filled the ocean with. Um, we're talking about depths that are completely unexplored. I don't know what the percentage is 
but like we have explored an incredibly small amount of the ocean, right? We talk about like conquering space, like that's a really big deal for us as humans. The ocean is just as big a deal for us to go and actually spend time in. Um, there is crushing pressure, complete darkness, and it's a terrifying place for us as humans to go because there's no air to breathe, right? And the further down you go, the further away from air you're getting. So it's, it's like, it's like uh, a completely different world, uh, from us. And this is what the psalm is talking about that God has complete um, control over. But when we talk about the different uh, creatures that live there, just take a look at some of these animals that live under the ocean. There's this thing. I don't even know what that is. I don't know if those are legs, if that's an eye on the top of it, right? Who knows? There's this thing, which looks like an alien pretty sure looks like something out of an alien horror movie or something like that. And then there's this thing, which looks even creepier than the last thing, right? These are the types of things that are like swimming around in the ocean, like terrifying things that God um, has complete control over, right? And like for us, these things that would be completely terrifying for God are talked about like they're his rubber ducky, when we go to this next verse here, 26, there the ships go uh, to and fro, and Leviathan, which you formed to frolic there. Now, Leviathan could be all sorts of different things. Um, a dragon, that's, that's one way to pronounce, yeah, that's one thing it could be, right? It's a great sea monster is typically how we read it. There, there's also, if you really dig into the, into the etymology of the word, you find that like, there is maybe some parallel even with some uh, Canaanite mythology, for, for, uh, and it refers to like a, a sea god almost, uh, regardless, uh, God himself uh, tells this thing where to go, like it's his little, like his little pet, right? Like, it, like a little turtle you have in your, in your tub, right? That's what this is to God. This great sea monster um, is, is something that God has fun with, right? He plays with it like you play with your dog or something like that, okay? That's the imagination that the author has for who God is. And, and what, he, what the author is doing is he's taking things that we can understand, right? Like the ocean and the creatures in the ocean. And, and if you're living in this culture, the Leviathan, that's something that is, a, is, a, is something you know, you're aware of when the author talks about it and takes these reference points that we have and uh, things that are massive to us, that are maybe terrifying to us, that we, beyond our comprehension, and then as like, you know how you, on a map you have like scale to size, right? You know, so you say like, this thing is, you know, this much space here is actually like 100 miles or something like that, right? So it's a reference point for us, and then it expands it out so we can get a sense for how large the area on the map is. That's kind of what's going on here, right? A reference point for us to, to give us a sense for this thing that is great and powerful and completely beyond us is, you know, this small for God. To give you a reference point for how large of an ima- imagination we should have for who God is and his works in the world. That's what the psalm is doing for us. And, and so we're seeing that take place in how these descriptions of the elements, all right? Now let's dive in a little bit to how God directs these elements, for what purposes he is putting them to use. In verses 14 and 15, so I'm backing up a little bit. Um, after the water has been harnessed and tamed by God and directed uh, and gone to its appointed places that the author talks about that God wants it to go, uh, it starts to make grass grow for cattle and and plants for people to cultivate. So now there's an end point to which God has harnessed this water to direct it for a certain purpose, which is uh, to make it so animals um, can have uh, grass to eat and humans can eat uh, the plants and cultivate them and bring forth from the face of the earth. Okay? Now, 
It's not just um, that simple, though. They're, like, for, for the author to jump in and say uh, the plants that people are cultivating and are being turned into wine to gladden our hearts or oil to make our faces shine. Think of like makeup or something like that. He's not just talking about something we can pick off a tree and eat right there. He's talking about the types of things that we can take and then use to uh, produce in society, right? The types of goods that we can make and then we can harness to make it so we can go from hunter-gatherer societies, right? So like if, if you look at economic theory, you have different types of societies that progress as you're able to harness more elements. And so the most basic society is like a hunter-gatherer society where you just, you hunt all day and then you eat the food you hunt and that's your life. Right? But as societies progress, they can, have, um, they can have more complex relationships with each other as certain people are able to do certain things. And that's when you see things like wine or makeup start to, to, start to come up. Angela's nodding her head. I know that you really love business and stuff. So, um, so that means this is a good analogy. Okay, good. Um, so like, that's the type of thing that the author is aware that God is progressing us for like that's the why he's harnessing water and directing it so that not just so that we can you know eat but so that as a society we can progress beyond that as we have these uh, as we have these products to cultivate and to nourish and to put to certain use so that human society can actually progress to places where it can enjoy wine or it can wear makeup right so that's the type of the type of things uh, that God is directing everything towards in this. Now, similarly, kind of on that same vein, in verses 19 to 23, the author talks about how the moon marks seasons and the sun knows when to go down. Um, you bring darkness and it becomes night, right? So God is, uh, and then in verse 23, the people go out uh, to their work, to their labor until evening when the sun comes up. So there's this sense in which God is directing the day of humans and their society by when he, how he chooses to have light come up, right? So like we, we, you know, we, we tend to structure our days based on when the sun is out and when the sun goes down, right? And, and if you think about it, like we're not doing anything to direct when the sun's out or when the lights are on, right? That's what, that, that is something that God is doing. So he's even directing our days at a very basic level and how humans structure their days in that way. That's the type of uh, 3D chess that God is playing when he thinks about moving the sun and the moon around for different aspects of the day. And, and so, um, as we keep going, we jump to verses 29 and 30, um, we find out that when God hides his face, then they are terrified. And, and so, it's not even so much that God directs our day or, or gives us uh, the tools or the, uh, or the goods that we can use to um, produce things, but, it, you know, it goes so far as to say our very existence depends on God. Right? If, when you get down to it, and this is you know, at the very end of the psalm, um, the author says, everything, we're so dependent on God to the point that um, we would not have life without God giving it to us through his, through his spirit. Or, or that, that Hebrew word for spirit can also be translated breath or wind. It's actually the same, uh, the same word is used for all those things. So God's breath of life in us through his spirit is the thing that uh, creates us. And when that is taken away... Um, our, when our breath is taken away and we die and return to the dust. 
So it is God that is directing all of this. No matter what it is, whether it's us having life, whether it's us having goods to produce, uh, to be able to eat, or to have such, such luxuries of, of, of producing to a level where we're able to set up a room like this, where we have uh, the type of equipment that we have in order to make this type of thing run. Like These are all things that we have been given by God, right? Now here's the thing. We get so um, focused on those things. We, you know, we get so focused on, uh, on wine, or we get so focused on makeup, or we get so focused on water that we forget the ways in which there, this interplay between everything that God is completely directing. And that's what, uh, that's what I think is a huge problem to our, be, to our imagination and to us staying stuck on mud pies, is we're so unreflective of what this psalm is trying to tell us. Um, a lot of times we're tempted to, you know, read this or hear this, and, and when the sermon's done, um, we're going to talk, and then we're going to pull our phones out, and we're going to look at something. I'm going to go watch football all afternoon, right? Like, I'm, we're going to get excited about other things, right, that are all products of this vast interplay of everything that God is doing, and that all the things that he is thinking about as he directs the elements of the world itself uh, to have a natural direction in and of themselves. And so um, we take for granted, I think, the order of the world we live in. We take for granted the fact that, um, that, the, that, you know, like it only gets so cold, right? It gets just cold enough to where, you know, we can barely survive. But we can still survive. And it could get a lot colder, right? It could get a lot colder. Um, the storms could actually be a lot worse, right? Uh, there, could not, there could be no barrier between the land and the sea, um, and there are, a, there are actually places like this in our universe. Um, oh, hold on. I think I'm supposed to have a... Oh, there it is. Okay, sorry. So there are uh, places in the universe like where this is the reality. So if you have ever studied Jupiter at all, you're aware of this big red spot. It's actually called the Great Red Spot. Um, and what that is, is it looks really cool, but it's actually a storm that has lasted for at least 350 years, right? At least 350 years. We actually don't know how long it's, it's lasted. That's when we first noticed it as humans, was 350 years ago. It's a storm that never ends. Like, there's no direction to this storm. There's nothing that stops it from raging, like we have here today, right? Even, even today, when a hurricane hits, like, we can predict it, right? We can prepare ourselves for it, and we can tell people to leave the area. And it, and it eventually stops. It doesn't last 350 years, right? Same with the cold. It gets cold here, but it doesn't last forever. It seems like it, you know, by the time March rolls around. But it doesn't last forever. Like, God has restrained that so that we can still live. We can still produce at a certain level to where we can flourish, but that's not true everywhere, right? And we take it for granted when we realize that the fact that this is, this is the way um, that the rest, of the, wor- the rest of the universe works. It is, is specifically here that we see God is restraining and directing things for a certain uh, place for us. We take for granted that our world isn't just like Jupiter, and we turn back to our mud pies, right? We're so good at that. I'm one of the worst. I'm one of the worst, uh, and that. So um, as we close today, I want to uh, give a couple of, or three points of application. The first one is quit being so focused on mud pies, right? It seems like a very simple one. Have you guys ever seen that one skit where this guy goes to see a therapist and he's like, stop it. Okay, you're done now. You guys have seen that one? Okay, not, 
not seen that one. Okay, that's what I'm saying right here. Quit being so focused on mud pies, right? It's, it's like to focus on a mud pie uh, is to think too much about one aspect of this psalm maybe. You know, one thing that's been produced by what God has allowed for us and to forget what's going on, to get, forget who's directing all of it, to uh, shrink our imagination. Um, and what are mud, mud pies are just anything that like you would put overweighted significance to. So think about that for a little bit. For me, I can pretty quickly tell you, and Julie will tell you too, my phone is one of those things. I spend too much time on my phone a lot of times. Um, Sports are another big one. Like, I get so wrapped up into sports a lot of times that, like, to a stupid level, right? Like, I remember um, when I, so, so my time at NDSU, I uh, was working for the football team while I was there. And we actually won a national championship while I was on staff with the football team, which is one of the coolest achievements of my life. But I remember, like, after the game was done, we'd celebrated, we'd, we'd gone on the field, there was confetti everywhere, you know, we were holding the trophy, we got these shirts that said, in, you know, we're champions for this year and everything. And we, we'd gone to the locker room, everyone had showered up and grabbed our stuff, and we got on the buses. And I'm sitting on the bus, and I'm like, man, that was such a cool experience. And then I remember being like, okay, what now? I'm like, oh my gosh, we just go back and do it again next year. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, I'd reached the pinnacle of where I was ever going to get, right? And, and sure, there are pinnacles higher than that, you know, than, than NDSU national championship level, right? Like, but, yeah, I know. But, um, like, I had reached the pinnacle. Like, the thing I'd been working for for really five years of my life to get to a championship, and it didn't take that long for me to be like, this is super empty. Like, we just go back and we do it again. And that's like, that's what a mud pie is, right? When you actually reflect on the significance of it, despite the fact of how much time you put into it, you understand how little value or importance it has in the grand scheme of things. And we get focused on things, I get focused on things far less important than national championships (laughs) on a daily basis. So think about it. What are your mud pies? What are those things that you focus on um, because you are so quick to uh, shrink your imagination or not imagine at a level of who God is? Now, our second point of application is to bring in more information about this God that we worship. There's a typo there. Sorry. Um, Because the story of this God continues, right? Like, there is more to know about who this God is than just what we find in this psalm. Um, and I think um, we can actually use some of the stuff that is in the psalm to help us get a good picture for who that God is as we jump forward to the New Testament. So a quote from uh, Fleming Rutledge. She is a, uh, she's a priest, and she has this awesome quote um, on a, in a sermon that is talking about Psalm 104, among other things. She says, It is good for us to reflect deeply upon the use that God makes of his power. If you and I had power over hurricanes and earthquakes and tornadoes, what would we do with it? All the evidence suggests that we would unleash it against our enemies. The last thing that we would do is to turn ourselves over to be betrayed into the hands of wicked men. Yet that is what this Son of God does. Um, When we really do reflect on what it would be like to control uh, the elements in the way that God does, um, another thing that should cause us, again, this idea of a reference point of, that expands our imagination for who God is, when we reflect on what we would do with that same power, like, we would probably not direct it in the way that God does, if we're being totally honest. 
At best, we would use it for petty uses. At worst, we would do what Fleming Rutledge is saying we would do with it. We'd find ways to use it that are not helpful, but are actually harmful. Now, God himself, and this is the irony of the cross, God himself gave up all of this power that he had to become lower than humans. The same humans that he's directed everything for, he went to a point where he was lower than them and giving up his life for us. And instead of donning light, instead of making light his garment, he made his own blood his garment. Instead of directing streams of water to flow across the earth, he made it so his, that blood flowed like a stream out of his own body. Instead of restraining darkness, he allowed darkness to completely engulf him. And instead of inspiring breath, he had breath taken out of his own lungs on behalf of us. And so, um, the irony of the cross is that God gives up all this power in an act that is even greater than the things that Psalm 104, even greater than the deeds that Psalm 104 uh, portrays to us about this God. A still greater act is the act of giving all that up on behalf of these people that he has directed all this for. I think one of the... uh, ironic things also about this psalm is, and again, we talked about this a little bit last week, and you see this in the psalms, where, uh, where you see this call for justice to happen, right? And, we, and it makes us a little bit uncomfortable, right? This idea of sinners being vanquished or vanishing from the earth and the wicked being no more. It makes us a little bit cringe a little bit and make us, you know, makes us feel a little bit uncomfortable reading these verses in, in psalms. But here's the irony of this psalm, once we bring in this picture of who this God is, right, even going further than the psalm, we see that he still is in the business of making sinners vanish from the earth, but not by killing them, right? That's the whole point of him giving up his, himself for us, is to make sinners vanish from the earth, but not by killing them, but by dying for them, to take that sin away from us so that sin no longer infects his good creation, but not in the way, again, that we would be tempted to use that power if we had it. A completely different way. And I think that's the mind-blowing part about all of this. And it should cause our imagination to just explode, right? Even though so often it doesn't. That's our third point of application, is let our awe of God animate us as we launch this church, right? The higher our view of God's glory, the higher our view of his sovereignty, the higher our view of his love for us, the bigger our need to worship him. And the more of a desire we have to create worship of people for this God where it currently isn't. And that's the whole point of why we're planting a church, you guys. The more we'll be encouraged that the power of death doesn't rule the world, that that Jesus does, then the more we're going to be motivated to go out and proclaim him, and the more our church plant is going to flourish. Now, we're going to be tempted to focus on lots of mud pies that we think are actually really important as we plant this church. It could be all sorts of different things. And you hear the types of things that some churches have really big fights about, and and it's easy to see it, right? My parents, I, I remember hearing about a fight about what color the carpet was, like a huge fight, big, big deal in one of their church council meetings. Like, that's the type of thing, that's the type of mud pie that churches can focus on. And I'm sure we can think of plenty of those things, you know, as we go. Um, we can't be distracted by that. We can't let our imagination shrink to the level of mud pies. If this church plan is going to flourish, it's going to be because we have a big vision of who our God is. And that's going to animate us to go out and to do the mission of what we're trying to do. 
And we've actually put that in our, in our statement, or in our um, vision statement, right? Our vision statement is to glorify God by seeing people, our city, and the world made new in Jesus, our Savior and King. Like, the because there is to see glory brought to God for his, uh, for his direction and his, his, uh, his control over the elements of the earth, to his direction to us for life, for the, for the flourishing of human society, and for his willingness and his love for us to give that up on behalf of us so that sinners may vanish from the earth. So um, what we're going to do now is we're going to uh, move to a time of communion. And during that time, what we're going to do is we're going to have some time for you to worship this God. And during that time, I want you to uh, reflect on a couple of things. First of all, what mud pies do I have? What are my mud pies? What are those things that I'm going to be focusing on? They're going to shrink my imagination of who God is, what he's done, what he will do, and what he's doing right now. And then secondly, how do I expand that? How do I cause that vision of who God is to blow up way bigger than it is right now? Um, and, and I think communion is a perfect place to do that because we are, we are remembering, we're doing in remembrance for Jesus um, what he's done for us in this seminal act. In Matthew 26, uh, 26 to 29, we're told that Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took the cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink from it all of you. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from this fruit of the vine from now until the day that when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So communion is one response. Taking that act, uh, taking that bread and that cup, um, remembering what Jesus has done for us. We're going to also take time to worship as well through song uh, and invite you to do that. And another one, and just to, to throw this out there, is giving. And Julie talked about it a little bit beforehand, but this is a good time if you, if you want to give. Giving is actually a response to God, an act of worship. And we should, we should think about it that way. And we have a box in the back, or you can, um, on our info cards, which we would normally have that we don't, we would have information on how you could text or give online, but don't worry about that today. All right? So I'm going to pray to close us, and then we're going to enter into that time of worship and communion. Lord, we thank you that, um, or even though you have the power to direct, um, to direct the elements of the earth in any direction that you you would, Lord. And even though we have rebelled against you so many times, we have taken the elements that you've given us and we've consistently used them per, to produce uh, uh, societies that, that harm one another, that we create technology that kill each other. We, um, we use the breath that you give us to curse one another and to harm one another and to uh, chase after and follow things uh, that are, are wholly evil, Lord. Despite all that, Lord, you used your power uh, in love to die on a cross for us. And Lord, we could, we could not be more thankful for that, even though we are terrible at showing that to you, Lord. Myself, is a, I'm in the front of that line, Lord. So we thank you for that. We want to worship you for that. And I pray as, as we do that you would be with us here. Um, and pray all this in your son's name. Amen.